This is episode 116 of Relate on Teaching Digital Barriers with Lee Chantel. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew. And for today's episode of Relate, we are talking about a wide variety of very important things. Have you ever thought in your life that you are just passively consuming, that you're just passively interacting with the world? Perhaps you don't really quite have an understanding of tech, that you don't really know how tech works. Perhaps you've heard that there's these algorithms that are manipulating us, but you don't really pay too much mind to it. Well, in this episode, we talk about why it's so important that we educate ourselves on how technology works. We talk about digital equilibrium and also how we've been taught to be reactive when it comes to the online and social media space. We talk about establishing routines and why this is so crucial to implement positive behaviors and habits into our lifestyles. Our guest, Lee Chantel, dives deep into these topics. And something that she also discusses with us, which I really loved a lot, this is great. She talks about how we must leave space for our mind, leave space for the bigger things in our lives. This is so true, and this really resonated with me a lot. I'm very excited to bring this episode to you all. So, now more about our guest. Lee Chantel is an international speaker, consultant, author, and blogger. She is passionate about cyber psychology, digital well-being, and digital communication, in particular prioritizing conscious choices towards interactions, especially online interactions. She is currently undertaking multidisciplinary research, examining children's interactions with social robots in an educational setting. Over the past two decades, she has spoken all over the world, written various books, run not-for-profits, organized festivals, plus many smaller events. She has worked in online marketing, online advertising, content creation, and social media, and is currently creating online courses while teaching herself how to code apps. So this is a very great episode for you all today. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. If you like this episode, also head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. So without further ado, with all of that said, let me please introduce Lee Chantel. Lee Chantel, thanks so much for joining us on the Relate podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Pat. I'm very excited to have you here. We connected, I guess at this point, it was a few months ago. 
Yeah. Uh, really, I, I guess it was before the whole pandemic too. I think it was like just before that or right around when that was just starting. And yes. I was I was really excited to connect with you because you've done some really incredible work within this emerging field of digital well-being and digital wellness, specifically your work as a, a speaker, a consultant, uh, as well as a lot of the writing that you've done too. So mm -hmm. I'm really happy to have you on the show and just to hear your perspective on what it means to create meaningful relationships specifically in our digital age today. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you very much for having me. We connected because of the um, Humane um, Tech uh, blog, actually. Yeah, it's such a great community of, of people who are really working towards figuring out ways in which we could design tech that is more human-centered, right? Like that the, that's a big part of our mission as well is not only figuring out what we can do as humans, but then also what we can do in the design of it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering if you could start off by just sharing with our listeners a little bit about your journey. What led you on the path that you're pursuing today? Um, what led me on the path, I guess, is I worked previously for a long time in social media marketing, online advertising, um, helping people set up social media accounts and running them properly and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I was interested in the analytics, how things were working. Uh, was this worth our time? You know, I'm all about cost benefit analysis. And I just noticed things didn't, unless you had a lot of money, which some of my clients had to put into advertising, just you weren't seen. And I noticed over time some of the algorithms changing as well, like in particular with Facebook. And I just found it really interesting and just did a lot of sort of research or found more things about about that. And in regards to more of the um, cyber sort of psychology stuff that I'm interested in at the moment, um, I have just started, oh, well, three years into my psychology degree and I'm interested in cyber psychology. So just, you know, how we interact with digital devices, robots, online stuff, AI, social media. There's so many different things that take place now that are just socially accepted, that are social norms. And um, where, where do we fit? Where does etiquette fit? Where does the community fit? And like your podcast is all about, where are the human relations within that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners just a little bit about in more detail what cyber psychology is, or I guess what's entailed in that, because obviously it's the, the study of uh, really the internet, internet of things, our relationship with technology. But as you're studying it, what are some of the things that you're learning and finding out about? Well, um, I'm actually part of my course is nothing to do with cyber psychology at all. It's a really, really new field. Um, it started originally in Ireland and it's gone out to like the UK and the US. But in Australia, there's only one university who actually has a research group or a research lab in regards to cyber psychology, and that's the Sydney University. 
So I'm at Griffith University at the Gold Coast in Australia and they don't have anything like that there. And um, so that is a bit um, upsetting to me because I just think it's such an, a field that's really important at the moment. Like, you know, just for example, or the Cambridge Analytica drama, that could be a subject on its own or, for oh, example, yeah. with, with all the COVID stuff at the moment, how we're relying on um surveillance type technologies and that people you know we sort of had to use a lot of those um for a while but why are we using them now or do we need to use them as much as we did and things like that so um yeah it's not necessarily taught at, at the moment too much but that's my direction and where I want to go and this year I'm doing my honours which I know a lot of people in the US aren't, don't really know what that is but that's sort of like a bridge between when you do your undergraduate and your graduate so it's sort of like a year in the middle where you work out whether or not you want to go any further in in regards to research mostly and luckily I am um, found a supervisor this year who um, was really open-minded to work um, in a sort of field that was maybe a bit left left of centre or something she hadn't really done. And um, she's in education and she did a lot of stuff with tablets. Um, so I just sort of came in and said, these are my interests. And she said, oh, well, I'm looking to do a robot study with, with preschoolers. Would you be interested in that? So at the moment this year, um, we're working on a social, a social robot, so a NOW, the NAO robot, and how um, children, preschoolers in particular, three to five-year-olds, interact or engage with a robot instructor versus a human instructor. So that's oh, wow. sort of, yeah, where I'm at this year. And um, it's interesting because, you know, there's some, there's some sort of um, – like themes or ideas that, <clears throat> excuse me, or theories that can relate to humans just overall in regards to the technology space. But there's also specific ones that relate to robot interaction, like there's the um, human-robot interaction theory, for example, and that's just understanding, designing, um, working out how humans and robots interact and from that there's also the children's version of that so um, ch child robot interaction and if you think about um, the differences with children and adults for example their communication isn't as specific it's not complete yet um, they um, have language difficulties maybe, their attention is a bit more distracted, developmental issues, and even things like, um, you know, they think robots are more of a being than humans do or they wouldn't notice, for example, if you're speaking to a robot, you'd notice those pauses as an adult. We'd notice the pauses. We'd notice if there's a glitch or something, but the children wouldn't necessarily. So it's really, really interesting. So that's where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating for sure. And really, technology is only going to continue to advance. So it's really fascinating to see just how, not only how humans are going to affect the change of technology, but also how technology is going to affect the change in humans too. And it must be really fascinating just to 
be in this this research environment where you're seeing how children are reacting to social robots. Mm, definitely. And, you know, when my supervisor, Michelle, and I, when we met the robot, we were so excited. We were just like, oh, my God, he does this. Oh, he's speaking back to me. I've got a little video on my Lee Chantel YouTube channel, actually, you can have a look at. But it was so exciting for us. So, like, we're just about to do the data collection in a couple of weeks. So I can't wait to see how the, the children react to it. I think it'll be really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, exciting, too. It, mm. And with, with that said, I know you also work a lot as a consultant, so what do you do in your consultant work when you're working with your clients? Is the work specifically on digital wellness or is it a subset or something related to that? So I've been doing the consulting speaking for many years and that was um, a lot to do with the social media marketing that I used to do. And also I'm one of the vegan veterans of the mo of the movement too, so to do with the veganism and animal rights. Um, and, yeah, I've done more coming over more to the digital wellness, um, digital communication side. So I'm interested in just how, like, mindfulness and conscious choices of digital um activities I guess you could say so I haven't really had that much time the past few years just because I've been studying but I'm in the process of setting some things up at the moment and yeah the end of the year onwards we'll be getting more into that and you know re retreat sort of spaces and events that encourage people to you know just think think about why they're using digital devices and do they need to still do it and you know just give some sort of tips and help on um you know this is the stuff you need to do so you don't need to get caught up in all the like passive scrolling and just checking things all the time and getting overwhelmed with notifications so yeah and that that would go into um, organizations, businesses, one-on-one -on -one interaction. So yeah, similar to what I what I sort of did before, and I did a lot on um, online etiquette and things like that. So it's just sort of a natural progression for me to get into that space. I think. Well, and especially too, I would love to hear your thoughts on the fact that you have done a lot of online marketing work, social media consulting. With having this background and also this perspective of having a deep understanding of really how the online world works, how do you really, I guess, analyze digital wellness now that you kind of, in some ways, almost did like a 180 where now you're, you're talking about, okay, it's important to have a, a balance with these things. I imagine that having that social media and online marketing experience has been really valuable now that you're teaching digital wellness. Yeah. How, how do you really implement that experience into what you teach now? I think that's a really good point, Patrick, because, um, you know, the I think people don't understand the technology. They don't understand the back end of stuff. They don't understand the algorithms. You know, I, I speak to lots of people that say, oh, I don't care if someone's tracking me. I'm signed into everything all the time. I don't care. And that really upsets me because it's very like a passive sort of interaction with the world and it's sort of, uh, you know, a bit, 
I don't know. Yeah, I guess passive is the best word, but you're not trying to change things. You're just happy with the way things are when, you know, you could try and be better or you could do better. And um, I think that does come back to people not understanding all those things. So, of course, you're not going to care if you just think carrying around a phone and it's just tracking you. But I don't know what happens, you know. Whereas if you know that your data is being tracked, every everything you do online or, you know, whenever you're connected to anything, there's data tracking. And that data, especially in the US where you're from, is just used really badly to whoever can pay for it. And um, that that's really scary for me. And I just, you know, I don't know what it takes for people to care about this. And I think it's... You know, all the all the sort of things I've been involved in in the past, like veganism, um, animal rights, environmentalism, feminism, um, you know, all those sort of things, it normally takes 10 or 20 years for people to actually listen to what I'm saying, you know. So I think it'll be one of those things <laughs> where in 10 years' time people will go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not... I'm not um, signing into Facebook anymore. I've deleted my Facebook page or I'm not logged into Google all the time. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, cool, good for you. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) I just think it takes a long, long time for change to happen and real change to happen. So that's interesting for me. But, yeah, I think from my background um, I understand things more. I understand why or how, you know, you get someone's attention and um well as much as we can with algorithms where we don't know um exactly what how they've been created and how they're updated but um yeah i think that really helps me going forward and um yeah i think people you know 10 or so years ago you used to be able to put a certain amount of money on a um advert for say facebook and you get a pretty good return from it but now there really isn't much return unless you spend a lot of money on things and there was some study a few years back that was saying um 50 of advertising dollars doesn't actually go to where it's meant to so you know that's a really hard thing to try and sell to someone as a as a business trying to get people into social media. Oh yeah, you have to post every day and you have to post stuff that people like and you have to be seen. But you know, Facebook only what one to 2% of pages get get their content seen. And then you also have to pay if you want to be seen, but then that won't actually be effective. So it's just really hard. Yeah, it's pretty wild actually, you know, with you putting it in perspective that I feel like nowadays, the social media space it's it's so saturated and yeah sometimes it's hard to rationalize putting in this this big investment into whether it's creating a bunch of content and posting every day or or multiple times a day or whether it's paying for advertisements like uh, i'm a big believer that eventually we're going to see some sort of change i think that social media marketing worked for a while, but now we're starting to see this turn of events where it might not be as effective or the most effective means of advertisement that it used to be. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah, you're like me. We both have, um, you know, positive views of the future, even though maybe there's a bit of um, realism there sometimes. But yeah, I I like to think that change will come and good change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
I'm wondering with all of that said, and just given your wealth of experience too, digital well-being and digital wellness, really it's, I, I believe, and a lot of people would agree that it's a new field, it's an emerging field. And I think a lot of people, especially outside the industry, are still trying to figure out what exactly this digital wellness thing is. Yeah. Is it that, you know, they're, they're wondering, oh, is, is that like a Fitbit? Is it about <laughs> my, my physical health? But it is something that's quite different. So I'm wondering from your perspective, what does digital wellness mean to you? Um, I guess it's like the balance. I love the word equilibrium. So um, digital equilibrium or balance. So getting everything right, getting everything to have the space that it needs to do the things that you need to do versus the things that maybe you're addicted to or you just do without conscious thought. So that's just in a nutshell what it means. But um, a, a good example, I, so I'm on my uni holidays at the moment and um, my laptop and display are being serviced at the moment and it was going to take about a week. It's almost two now. But um, so I decided that was a good time. I'm going to go away for a week with a friend and I'm just going to chill out. I'm not going to have any uni-related stuff or no computer. And um, one thing that I found really weird was a, a few people I said I'm getting my computer serviced, they thought that was just the weirdest thing in the world. Like why would you get something serviced when you can just buy something new, which annoys me. Um, and you should always, I think, you should always try and fix things before you get something new, especially with the amount of electronic waste we have at the moment. And then another thing was, oh, so what do you mean you're not going to check your emails or you're not going to do this or you're not going to do that? And I'm like, no, I've just got my phone and my phone doesn't even have emails on it. Like it's just, and it only has notifications for you know, phone calls, signal, WhatsApp, um, message sort of based things like for human interaction or human communication. Um, I've never ever had Facebook on my phone, for example. Um, I do go on Twitter quite a bit because I like Twitter. Um, but just like basic sort of things like that where I could actually rest and rest my brain and read. Like I just wanted to chill out, read, um, go to the beach, do some ocean swimming, hang out with friends and eat good vegan food, you know. So I was able to do that. But a lot of people just couldn't understand that I have those digital barriers or that I would have those barriers. So that I think is something that sort of needs to be taught a bit more and that's where I sort of see myself coming in as well. It's like that leading by example or showing people, giving them tips and tricks to how to be able to do that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that too. I think that it's important that we really exercise to what you said, exercise digital barriers, because I think a lot of us fall into the trap of just falling down this rabbit hole of technology and it becomes really consuming and in all honesty, very exhausting too. If when you're staring at your screen, whether it's the your laptop computer or or your phone, it gets very exhausting when you're doing that for a while. But if you have the opportunity to separate yourself from it at least a little bit each day and like you said, you go out with friends and you have some vegan food or, or perhaps you do something that, that feels a little bit more tangible. 
I feel mm. like the overall health health benefits of that are huge. Yeah, and um, you know, outdoor exercise and being outside in nature and not looking at a screen—they're all really beneficial things as well. You know, the one of the biggest issues with digital devices and people using them all the time is anxiety and depression. And if you add into all the COVID stuff at the moment, and even the Black Lives Matter movement and all these like major, major things that are happening in the world, that is causing anxiety and is causing a large majority of people to have depression. You know, you need to try to do something that's positive that you can, you know, that you yourself can actually action, that you're not relying on someone outside of you to do. And that, you know, for me, I found, you know, for, um, uni we um we are online now so we don't go into classes and things like that and we'll be doing that for the rest of the year and I just got into a really good routine I'd do you know I'd wake up do my exercise which is like Pilates or yoga um I wasn't able to do my swimming which is my sort of passion but um so I'd do that have my breakfast check my emails do uni for a few hours lunch uni for a few hours dinner and then a couple of hours of tv at the end of the day and I just got into that routine and that was like a three-month routine that was quite monotonous but um I actually I like routines as well and especially when I am balancing like I said the exercise the break the uni the chill out time watching my reality tv at night so I don't have to think about anything you know just all that sort of stuff and I think that's you just have to be mindful of what works for you and what doesn't work for you and just make more healthy and more conscious choices of healthy boundaries or healthy ways of using technology. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point about establishing routines for yourself. I think that a lot of us fall in the routine of always checking our phone or always checking our email, social media. But if we are able to flip the switch and give ourselves routines that serve us as opposed to drain our energy and take away from us. I, I think that the the benefits of that could be very substantial in the long run. So I, I just want to comment on that. I think that, that establishing routines, while sometimes, as you mentioned, these routines could be monotonous, I think that if we create routines that serve us, I think that it has a long-term positive effect. Yeah, I think so too. And it's also making, um, like not having the space to make so many decisions. For example, um, you know, I have the same breakfast every day. I normally wear similar sort of clothes and, you know, it's, you're not having to make those conscious sort of decisions of, oh, what am, what am I going to eat today? What have I got in the fridge or something like that? So if you leave your mind space to actually work on the bigger issues, like the bigger problem-solving issues that life can bring to you, like say, for example, it's my it's my thesis at the moment for university, but it could be, you know, how to get your business to the next level or, you know, um, working on a relationship. But those bigger things need way more space than all these little things that we keep wasting our time on. So I think once you get rid of all those little sort of decisions and spend and give space for the bigger ones, that really has helped me too. I love that. That's uh, so true and so important for all of us to keep in mind. I'm wondering, based off all yeah. of that that you just said, 
Do you think that the best way for us to regulate how we use technology is a matter of finding a balance with using technology and then not using technology? Is it? Do you find it being really as simple as that? I think just, you know, with learning about psychology and why people do things, a lot of it's unconscious. So to me, once I know something's not good, then I'll change my behavior to not do it. Like say the vegan stuff, the environmental stuff, like I don't eat refined sugar, for example, you know, I'm not a smoker, not into drinking, all that stuff, just because it's not healthy. And I think about the future, like I'm trying to live a quality life for as long as I can um so that's how my mind thinks and how I do things but there's a lot of people who have had trauma in their life not had the best upbringing with family have had you know history of mental health or addiction issues so they're just like haven't started on the same foot as me and that's like acknowledging my privilege as well but it's sort of saying we can't lump everyone and just expect everyone to do stuff and I've got a heap of friends who you know they'll they'll complain that they're on Facebook all the time and I'll be like well why are you on there and it's just an emotional sort of thing for them they're sort of like self-soothing when you have something that happens to you like a trigger that triggers you feeling a certain way or um, something that reminds you of how you were in the past or you're not worthy or something like a deep-seated issue you know people can self-soothe and that includes alcohol drugs things like that and it can also include digital devices so you're just sitting there mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or, you know, YouTube rabbit hole with all the videos. And people are not in that moment consciously going, okay, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I'm bored or I'm doing this because it makes me feel better for a little bit of time maybe. Or, you know, I people say, oh, but I'm connecting with people online. And I'm like, well, is it really connection? You're not really interacting with those people in general. And, um, you know, people say, oh, yeah, this person's my friend or um, I've been talking with this person. They've just been putting something on their Facebook wall and, um, you know, they're not really someone that they could actually ring up and say, oh, hey, I just need to have a chat because I'm not feeling well at the moment or, you know, can you give me your feedback on something? Like there's a lot of people out there who don't have people they can call when they need someone to chat to. And they're putting too much emphasis on, you know, creating a lot of followers or creating friendships online that I just don't think in the majority of cases um, goes over into real life as well as it should. I think you made a really good point, too, about the fact that everybody's relationship with technology is different. Everyone really goes about things in a different way. And so, yeah, I, I think it's important that we don't necessarily group a bunch of people together. I think it really is an individual pursuit. While we could work towards working towards a solution together, I think that it is important to acknowledge, as you said, that everyone has a different relationship in the way in which they use technology. Yeah, and I think it's, for me, it's, I still believe that education can help people change their minds or at least understand why they're doing things. And I know if you look at the stats, you know, people know cigarettes 
are bad but they still have them or you know fast food's bad but they still go and eat that stuff like I know that that maybe realistically isn't true but I still think that the more that you educate people about why why are they actually passively scrolling through Facebook it's because the, all these um, devices have been created to keep you on there for as long as you can. So if you have that idea in your head, if you understand that aspect, are you still going to be on there as much? Or maybe you just allow yourself to do it for 15 minutes here and there, but not as regularly as you used to. So, for example, like for me at the moment, um, the AFL, which is the Australian Football League, is back at the moment um, and, you know, there's Big Brother here in Australia and some of the reality shows I like and I love, like, live tweeting with those sort of events, like when the football's on or some reality shows. I love live tweeting. That's really exciting. You get, you know, chatting with other people who care about stuff that not everyone cares about. That's really <laughs> fun. But, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be on there all the time. I don't have notifications on my phone. Like I'm not going to know if someone has, disagrees with me or if someone thinks, you know, in the, you know, you could say something and someone will think you are just the wisest person in the world and another person from the same comment you've said will just think you're a complete idiot. So, you know, there's everyone's <laughs> opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so true. It's so true. Uh, Lee Lee Chantel, thank you so much for joining us on the Relate Podcast today. I not only appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me on the show, but I also really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's so important, the concept of digital well-being and the practice of digital well-being as well. And I really applaud you for spreading the mis message as to why this is so important. And not only that, but also practicing what you preach. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for having me and for doing the work you're doing as well. And yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is leading by example. I think just from like my background stuff that I said, especially with the vegan movement, people see you turn up. Even as a friend, like being a nice person, people see you turn up and you're the same person and you do the same thing over and over, over, day by day, by month, by year. And that I think that really can influence a lot of people. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and your work? So I have um, my leashontel.com website and I have epicenterequilibrium.com as well, which is my um, consulting sort of stuff and for the vegan stuff you can have a look at vivalavegan.net and I deleted all my vivalavegan.net um, social media a couple of years ago which felt amazing um, and so I just have my leash on tell Twitter and um, Facebook begrudgingly um, and I have Lee Chantel and VivaLaVegan.net YouTube channels. Great. Well, I'll make sure to include all the links for our listeners. So listeners out there, if you want to check out Lee Chantel's work, which I highly recommend, just go to the show notes and click those links provided. So Lee Chantel, I have one last question for you before we part ways. How can we as a society better relate to one another? Um, I think it's um, all about trying to 
understand other people. Like that saying, if you if you want to be understood, then understand. If you want to be loved, then love. Like that sort of vibe. So you have to be aware that the more divided we are as a country, as a state, as a society, the more that governments can get away with a lot of the stuff they shouldn't be getting away with. And the more we're able to see the things we agree with more than the things we disagree because there's a lot of stuff that we all think is important and it's just people's, I don't know, the way people interpret things nowadays. And if you think about the way that we've been taught online is to be reactive, is to be outraged, is to just share the things that upset you, share the things that get you, you know, really angry and or really emotional and to share the things that are just an image or a video or a meme or something that's not very deep, it's maybe superficial. So if you think about trying to connect on a deeper level with people and trying to um, learn something else, and I hear a lot of people say, oh, you need to educate yourself, educate yourself more. But people do think they're educating themselves on, say, Facebook or, say, Twitter or, say, YouTube. But there's algorithms at play. There's reasons why you're seeing particular things. So I think get outside your little box, get outside your little echo chamber and, you know, learn more from people who are who are outside the things that you agree with already. And I think once you have conversations with people that disagree with something, you know, I've, I've got a lot of different types of friends, a lot of ages from all over the world, and I just really am interested in why people think that. What makes you think, you know, so-and-so's, the best person at the moment or what makes you think this way someone said it is better than this way. That's just really interesting. And I think maybe that's also helpful for people just trying to find out why people do things and instead of trying to just put your case across and trying to convince people or um, change people's behaviour. Yeah. Wow. Well, that that is a powerful message to leave our listeners with. So, Lee Chantel, thanks so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.